Come on, come on, come on. You'll love it. Have a seat. Come on, have a seat. Just want to tell you a few things. Now, in a moment, after you go to your classes, I'm going to be talking to these folks out here about Moses doing some strange things. Well, actually, God causing him to, having him do some strange things. One of those things was that was because most men in the desert would have a, a staff, you know, a big stick that they'd carry around. And they actually made them pretty fancy. I don't know if you've ever seen people with a little fancy cane that they walk, all carved up and pretty. And that's what they would do. They would make them very nice like that, very personalized so that, that everybody knows. Now, if you were a shepherd, which Moses was at that time, your staff would have to have some like almost weapons at the end. They would make it maybe a little a crook at the end to kind of gather the sheep in, maybe even a little sharp part to, to defend the, the sheep from wild animals. But when Moses met with God, as we learned last week a little bit about, the, um, the, he, God said to him there as he was talking through the burning bush that, that he, he said to him, I want you to take that staff that's in your hand and throw it on the ground. You know what happened? What happened? Moses threw it on the ground. That's good. He was obe- he obeyed God and the staff turned into a what? Are you sure? Did it look like? Mm, let me see here. What have I got in here? Oh, I'm wondering if it looked something like that. Is that a real snake? It is a real snake. It is a diamondback rattlesnake, western diamondback. You can see by the, the coontail there. It is definitely dead. Okay. Now I'll have you know, I killed it. All right. So, so I know it's dead. All right. So Moses had to throw his staff down, and his staff turned into, most likely, a poisonous snake. That one's poisonous. That one's also poisonous. That's a copperhead. Okay, so I just thought I'd throw an extra one down there so you could kind of see what it, what that might have looked like in the desert there. Copperheads like the desert; they're kind of, but they they have they have to have water somewhere. And of course, just in case you want to look and see what they look like when they bite. Oh, that's what they bite with. All right, that is a diamondback rattlesnake. Just the head. Okay. Now the reason I'm telling you this story is because. This is what God was doing with Moses. Moses was kind of ah, not sure what to make of what God was telling him to do to go talk to the Israelites and try to get them out of Egypt. All right. So what, what he did was he said, throw your staff down and it turned into a snake. Then Moses, God told Moses to do something else. What did he tell him to do? Do you remember? He told him to pick it up. Now, what would you do if there's a snake lying there and God told you, pick it up? Run away. That's what Moses did. That's exactly what he did. He says, oh, and he ran away when, when it went down and came to the snake. Then God said, pick it up. And so Moses kind of like, I think he must have kind of tiptoed up there. And, and he says, take it by the tail. Now, people who handle snakes know that if you take it by the head, you can control the head, right? It won't bite. But to do that, you need something like a staff 
to hold its head down before you grab it. But where was Moses' staff? It had become a snake! So the best place to grab a snake if you don't have a staff to hold its head down is the tail. I used to handle snakes a little bit, not religiously. Did it for a business, okay? I wasn't one of those. Okay. And you could take the snake by the tail, and as long as if, if the snake started to curl up to bite, you just kind of go shake it a little bit. Like you would a, a rubber a hose to try to straighten it out or a rope to straighten it out. Just do that. So Moses reached down, took it by the tail. What happened? It did not do that. It, instead, it, it became the staff again in his hand. Why did God do that? He wanted Moses to be confident, but he also wanted Moses to have something to make other people confident that God heard them and was going to do something about it. And so it was to build belief and trust. That's what he was doing. All right, let's pray and thank God for that. And then I'll send you out the room for your class. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that uh, you do such extraordinary things in order to get our attention. And you remind us that you do this and take care of us so that uh, we can know that you've actually called us and love us and that we can trust you. We can trust those who are telling us about you. We pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. All right, you can go to your class you can, after after the service. You can take a look. All right. It, probably something like this, but we don't know. What kind of snake is that? Copperhead. I don't know. I do it for fun. Okay. I have another one there, but I decided not to show it. One of the. Um, it's a snake eating a snake. So um, if you really want to see it sometime, I'll let you look at it. Uh, it's it just, I'll deal with that. Um, you know, get, doing things like that, I get myself into trouble. But, you know, Moses got himself into a lot of trouble, didn't he? Um, I want to talk to you just, just briefly. I want to mention Harriet Tubman. You guys know who Harriet Tubman was, right? Because we, we actually lived just a few miles away from where she settled after she escaped from, uh, uh, from slavery in, uh, in the, the Deep South. And uh, Harriet Tubman actually made 19 trips. Think about this, 19 trips back into the land where she had escaped and, uh, in order to rescue uh, at least 300 fellow slaves. That's pretty amazing. Um, she her, she uh, boasted that she she said I never lost a passenger. And of course, it was because it was the Underground Railroad. She kind of uh, coined that. Her her guidance of so many to freedom earned her the nickname Moses. That's why I thought this would be a good story for us today. Um, Tubman's friends and fellow ab abolitionists claimed that the source of her strength came from her faith in God as a deliverer and protector of the weak. I always told God, she said, I'm going to hold steady on you and you've got to see me through. She was never apprehended. 
I can't die but once. I do pretty good because I'm from the South, right? Yeah. Well, Texas, it's not really South. That became her motto. I can't die but once. You know, I think that's a good message to us right off the bat. We get so afraid of doing what God tells us to do, of opening our mouths and talking about Him, of being bold in the workplace, of living a godly life because we are afraid. And yet, we can't die but once. At least if we know Him, we can't die but once. Um, Tubman said she would listen carefully to the voice of God as she led the slaves north. And she would only go where she felt God leading her. Fellow abolitionist uh, Thomas Garrett said of her, I never met any person of any color who had more confidence in the voice of God. Tubman's nickname, or nickname's sake, Moses, had a tough time with his call and repeatedly asked God, can I opt out of this? <laughs> you been there? I have. I've been there. Lord, can I just kind of like, maybe there's a better way? I want to invite you to the book of, uh, of Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. Um, we're going to cover the whole chapter. So I'm not reading the whole chapter. You may want to keep your Bible open and understand, but we're going to go through the first 13 verses at least right now. Chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Then Moses said, what if they will not believe me or listen to what I have to say? Now remember what Mike talked to us about last week. We'll get there in just a moment. But, but what if they not listen to what I say? For they may say, the Lord has not appeared to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. Then he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. I love that part. I, I could say that every time. And Moses fled from it. But the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand and grasp it by its tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it. And it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. The Lord furthermore said to him, now put your hand into your bosom. So he put his hand into his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then he said, put your hand into your bosom again. Actually, by the way, that's literally, put your hand to your chest. I don't know if he put it in anywhere. Put your hand to your chest. So he put his hand into his bosom again. And when he took it out his bosom be, of his bosom, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you or heed the witness of the first sign, they may believe the witness of the last sign. But if they will not believe even these two signs or heed what you say, then you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground and the water which you take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. 
Then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have been have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. The Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then, go, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. But Moses, but he said, Please, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. Father, help us to learn what you have to say to your church tonight. Help us to learn what it means to say yes to you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we go to great lengths to wheedle out <laughs> of God's call. I, I didn't want to be called to ministry. I didn't want to be called to do something for the Lord particularly, but God did. He called. He calls each of us to a particular task. Some people say that Moses began his arguments with giving God, I mean with God in verses 11 and 13 of chapter 3 that we looked at last week. I don't really think so. I, I, I actually... I don't completely agree, although I think there's a little bit of beginning of balk at that point. Um, the questions he raised in those verses were legitimate, humble at the outset. In essence, I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody who has been on the lamb for 40 years. Now, get that, 40 years. He's now 80 years old. That's a legitimate concern. Anybody here 80 yet? I didn't think so. You close. <laughs> We're getting there. And I don't know. It goes on. He said, I don't even know who you are. Right? Who should I say sent me? And God gave him the name right away. Solves all those nice little problems. But in chapter 4, Moses enters into a process of arguing with God. He begins by raising the question of trust. Is it really realistic for them to trust my word? You know, he said, what if they don't believe me, literally trust me? That you saw me, you met with me in the desert, in the wilderness. That's a reasonable question, it seems like, uh, legit to me. But he says, he said, what if they don't trust my word? You see, trust is a significant factor. The Israelite leaders now, you know, at, first, at first reading, you don't pay attention to this, but the Israelite leaders are going to have to go with Moses, go with Moses to confront Pharaoh. They've not been doing too good a job with that for the last 400 years. Now in verse 10, Moses attempted a more aggressive strategy to get out of his trip. He pointed out that he was not a good speaker. I use that one. You know, I'm the guy that put off pub, uh, uh, speech in college till the last summer semester thing. God, please change the requirements for my major. You know, didn't happen. I took it. It was okay. But um, 
Some commentators actually point out that Moses did quite well speaking to the Israelites and um, to, to the Israelites and to Pharaoh. Others think that he might have ha- might have had a speech impediment. Still, others think he lost his native language ability after spending so many isolated years in the wilderness. You know, if, if you're if all you're around is sheep all day long in the desert, you're probably not doing a whole lot of conversational uh, uh, activities, right? So, uh, so maybe that's the case. I don't know. I don't buy it. But um, whatever the case, God is not putting up with such lame excuses. <laughs> He's just not going to put up with it. He is the one who made the mouth, the ears, and the eyes. Overkill? Yeah, I think so, but maybe not. Maybe God is preempting additional arguments from Moses. You know, I mean, well, but they won't hear. They won't see. They won't pay attention. But, but maybe really... God is explaining His involvement with all mankind, including the Israelite leaders, even Pharaoh himself. Finally, Moses takes out takes our most common approach. This one's at least the one I like to do. Um, he, he says in verse 13, Lord, send someone else. Send someone else. Right? We're good at hiring evangelists and pastors and preachers and teachers to go do it for us. But see, in our church, as we see things, that's not the way we do ministry, is it? That's not we, how we go on mission. We say it is all of our responsibility. Our, our role as elders is to equip you for the calling that God has placed on you to represent Him to the people around you. That's our job, to make sure that happens. And so Moses says, send someone else. We say, send someone else. God says, uh-uh. I'm sending you. I remember I told God, look, I, my plan is to make lots and lots of money. I'll tithe 90%. And God said, I don't want your money. I want you. I want you. It's not that He doesn't want me to tithe. I don't know about 90%, but. <laughs> See, we would, not, we would rather not bother dealing with lost or difficult people. And. If you deal with people, you know people are difficult. You know They kind of go hand in hand. People, difficulties, right? Um, God showed great restraint and patience up to this point, didn't He? I, I don't know about you. Face to face, I'm not sure I could argue with God. Moses was taking that on. But God goes to great lengths to elicit a response of belief and obedience. He doesn't slow up. Notice the sequence. The staff turns to a snake. The hand becomes leprous. The water turns to blood. Now, you guys paid attention, right, to the children's sermon? Right? Nod your head yes. Okay, just making sure because I'm not going to re-preach that part. Just, I, just, I think that's pretty cool. Snakes are snakes. You got it. Um, you probably don't think that's cool, but that's okay. Um, but this is what, what I think this is, is important. Moses was amazingly obedient to God with the snake. Threw the staff down. Actually, what he was doing, he was giving up his livelihood. He was saying, I mean, symbolic, but when God said throw that down, he was giving up protection. He was giving up the, his, 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 uh, his tool of his trade. He was laying it all down before God because that's what God asked him to do. Now, he did get to pick it up, but it was a snake. I'm not sure that that was the same feeling. The point was to help the Israelite leaders believe. 
Now, turning his hand from healthy to leprous to healthy again provided a, a further miracle, right? Now, the purpose of that apparently was to help the leaders believe. God's kind of got this thing covered. He's working on it. Finally, God gave Moses one more miracle to perform for the leaders. He was, he was to take some water from the Nile and turn it to blood. Not a big deal. And the purpose of that was to further persuade the leaders to believe. All of this was so that Moses would have some ammunition to help the leaders believe. The leaders of Israel to believe. He hasn't even got into the subject of Pharaoh yet. This is just about getting his guys on board. Trust was to be built on conquering false belief systems common in Egypt. Now, you might first of all not realize that when you think about the snake. You say, why the snake? The snake had a purpose. There was a reason. See, authority over snakes demonstrated Moses' superiority over um, uh, to, to the mystical snake handlers of the day. He not only controlled the snake, he controlled whether it was a snake or not. Actually, God controlled whether it was a snake or not. So that takes a, a, it's a superior thing to the snake handlers of their day, which was a common practice uh, for religious purposes. Control over leprosy demonstrated God's power over health issues, alternately inflicting with the disease and then healing it. You see, these two signs Moses could perform repeatedly as he met with various leaders. Think about it now. Moses is going into a place where there's probably a million plus Israelites. They're all hanging out there, being slaves, causing Pharaoh much consternation, but he wants them there. And so there, he's, got to, he's got leaders. They're scattered all over the place. Can you imagine? All of upstate, all of central New York, top to bottom, you need to get the message to the leaders here. Well, I mean, we have no television. We have no computers. We can't post this on the Internet. Can't even tweet it. And so what we have to do is we have to go in person, person to person, until people understand. Well, we're going to the leaders and you're going to those groups. So I suspect Moses is turning a, a, a stick into a snake. I'll say that ten times real fast. And, and repeatedly, over and over again, he's turning his hand white and, and back again. Over and over again. I don't know if it, you know, you watch you know, sci-fi movies and that, that causes a problem, doesn't it? Eventually that hand just drops off. But, uh, but this wasn't a sci-fi movie. This was reality. It was what God was doing. And so God was working with Moses to help him get the audience that he needed. Now the interesting part is the part about the Nile. That was the third sign. The Nile water into blood. Now we know when we get later into the story, we don't really see that happening with the leaders. We find that happening with Pharaoh. I don't know if Moses ever got to that third step, or maybe he just told him this is going to happen. I don't know. But, um, but the Egyptians considered the Nile to be their greatest god. And so when Moses is demonstrating somehow or communicating to the leaders, I'm going to be turning Nile water into blood, that's significant. Because what's happening, it was, it was kind of the source of life for them. In a very literal way, they, they even the, the Egyptians even believed that rain in other parts of the world actually came from the Nile, because they saw the Nile as providing as the god that provided life to the whole world, and so they this is a major affront to their religion. Um, 
for Moses to take even a small amount of life-giving water and turn it into undrinkable blood was an early indication that Moses was going to take on the whole pantheon of Egyptian gods. This is not a small thing. This is a big thing. And for the Israelites, there's, they're, they're given hope through this. Because anything less than taking on the, the major god of the Egyptians was not going to be adequate, even in their minds. Moses believed God was engaging him with these. Right? I mean, there wasn't any question in his mind, God's doing this, he's having this happen. He just didn't want to go. Perhaps he was too content living in Midian. I think a couple of sermons would kind of take note of that contentment. How about you? How content are you? You know, I'm pretty content. Is that bad? I like living where I live. I love Syracuse. I love the area. I'm very happy being here. I like the people, believe it or not. You know, I like people here. Enjoy being with them. So if God were to come to me after, even at my age, and I'm young, I'm making that announcement so you know, I'm young, but I would have a hard time saying, yes, okay, I want to go. I want to make a change. I've done it more than once. <laughs> um, and he'd been there for 40 years, comfortable, making a living, day in, day out. But somehow God made him. But this is the interesting. God became angry. God became angry. Why? Well, <laughs> now, if I were Moses, the snake, a little scary. The hand thing, a little creepy. God getting angry with me. I'd be terrified. God is not surprised. God is not surprised at these turn of events. Now, I, he knew ahead of time that Moses was going to try to avoid getting involved. He didn't control Moses' response, but he was ready for Moses' response. Remember, God would, why would he get angry if he was controlling it? But instead, he was angry because he was aware that Moses was going to go down this path. And, uh, and he's ready for that response. And he says his brother, Aaron, had all the qualities that Moses claimed he lacked. Look at what he says here in verse 14. Verse 14, he says, Then the anger of the Lord burned against Moses, and he said, Is there not your brother, the Lev Aaron, the Levite? I know that he, <laughs> what, speaks fluently. He speaks fluently. And moreover, behold, get this. They're just talking, right? Moses saying, I don't want to go. I can't speak. Whatever. I'm done with this. Send someone else. And God says, by the way, what does he say? Behold, last part of verse 14. He is coming out to meet you. He's coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. God knows what's coming. 
God actually, later on we see, told Aaron, hey, get going. Because you've got to meet your brother. I mean, Aaron probably doesn't even know where he is. But he's going off into the wilderness now. And he speaks fluently. And you, verse 15, are to speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I, even I, will be with your mouth and in and his mouth. And I will teach you what you are to do. Moreover, he will speak for you to the people. And he will be as a mouth for you. And you will be as God to him. You shall, you've got to say it that way, by the way. You, God, to him, you shall take in your hand this staff with which you shall perform the signs. Then Moses departed. We'll talk about that in a moment. It's interesting to me that uh, Moses was going to be to Aaron as God was to Moses. That's pretty powerful words. And then he goes on, he says, but that fact, that fact that Aaron was coming seems to comfort Moses and ends his arguments. He doesn't argue anymore. He's not fighting with God anymore. He's settled now. Why is that? Well, now Moses, Moses has two primary, in my mind, visible provisions to carry out his task. The staff of God. But that wasn't enough, was it? The staff of God, making all these miracles, it still wasn't enough. But the final thing he says is that, but he also had his brother, a companion, a spokesperson. Somebody go along with him. How is that for you? You know, for me, that's what really helps. When I need to go do something that God's told me to do and I'm not too comfortable with it, it is so much better that somebody comes with me. You know, Jesus understood that, didn't he? When Jesus was working with his disciples, he said, he, he said, he sent them out what? In pairs, two by two. Why? Because we work better when we're two by two. We work better when we're together. We're, 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 we're more confident at that moment, moment of time. We need the encouragement of flesh and blood to help us. I'm not saying we should need that. It should have been adequate. It should be complete that God says, I will be with you. But God has a plan to help our weaknesses. And one of those plans is to send us together. That's why we're a church. Uh, now, th this, he returns at that point. At that point, he decides to, chooses to obey. And he returns to his father-in-law and immediately makes preparation to leave. Now, I like the way God doesn't let go of us. You see, if you belong to God, you will have to endure significant pressure to resist his calling on your life. You know, I mean, God doesn't let go. You say no to God and he says, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I'm not making this optional. And he pushes harder and he pushes harder and he pushes harder. Because he loves you. And he has a plan for your life. And he wants you to fulfill it. I don't mean like four spiritual laws there. I mean, but he does have a way of working in our lives. He has a calling for everybody. This does not mean that the mission will be easy. You know, it was a good idea for God to put him through such a process beginning in verse 21. I'm sorry, such a process. Since beginning in verse 21, we see, some, see the reality of Moses' mission rising in difficulty. Look at verse 21. The Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh, aha, before Pharaoh, all the wonders which I have put in your power. But I will 
harden his heart so that you will not, he will not let the people go. Now, at that moment, I'm arguing with God. Now, wait a minute. You sent me to deliver your people, and now you're telling me that you are going to harden Pharaoh's heart and he's not going to do it? What is the point? But he goes on. God is not finished. He says, verse 22, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I said to you, Let my my son go that he may serve me. But you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn. Now see, we run into a difficulty in this passage. Does God harden Pharaoh's heart? Or does Pharaoh harden his own heart? I think that's a good question. That's why I asked it. So I looked at the passage again. What did he do? As we'll see in chapters to follow, both are true. Early on, Pharaoh hardens his heart. Later on, God hardens Pharaoh's heart. What's going on? What's going on? Does God not not have a mercy for a man like Pharaoh? Well, apparently not. God is not imposing His will to cause a man to sin. God is not imposing His will on Pharaoh to cause him to sin. I just think you need to understand something about Pharaoh. You see, God intensifies the effects of an already present evil. Think about Pharaoh. What has he done? Pharaoh has, in, has enslaved and, and harmed and, and hurt the people of God over and over and over again. Pharaoh is all about himself. Pharaoh is God in his mind. He says he's God. He claims to be God. And so, in, and he is one with the Nile. He is the, is completely the, the God of that, that area. I mean, they have multiple gods, don't get me wrong, but, but he was the ultimate God. He was the ruler. He was in charge. And so, so he, this intensity of, uh, of the evil that, uh, that he has, God is intensifying more by hardening his heart further. Neither the sovereignty nor the righteousness of God is compromised in this act. Neither one. God is sovereign. God is in control. And he, and nor is the righteousness. God will always offer us redemption. But in the case of Pharaoh, he had already hardened his heart against everything that God stood for. It was going to be impossible. But Moses will have to deliver a message to this stubborn and hardened king. The message will extend death to the firstborn of Pharaoh, the firstborn son. When, when God places a difficult or seemingly impossible task on his servants, he has already taken the necessary steps to equip them. Moses is ready. Moses is ready. Our belief results in our obedience, which in turn results in other people having the opportunity to respond in belief. What if Moses had just sat in the wilderness? No, not going. I don't know where we would be. But Moses obeyed. (laughs) I don't know if he had much choice. He was pushed by God to obey. Pushed by God. Somewhere between Midian and Egypt, as Moses and Aaron both obey God, they meet up. 
That's a pretty picture. Moses immediately leaves the mountain. He goes down, says to Jethro, his father-in-law, I'm heading out. Father-in-law says, bless you, go. Aaron, already on the road, is heading the other direction across this desert, the Sinai Peninsula. Somewhere in there, we don't really know where, there's a mountain. And that mountain is where God met with Moses when he was walking. That mountain is where God said, remember in last week's uh, passage, he says, the sign I give you is that you're going to worship here. Like, you know, give me a better sign than that. But now, that's where Aaron and Moses meet up. And I think it's a foreshadowing. It's a reminder that God said, this is where you're going to worship me all together. Don't forget, this is what's going to happen. The very place where the burning bush was. And once Moses obeyed God, performing the miracles in front of the elders of Israel, guess what happens? Verse 31, they believed. They believed. They trusted. The issue is settled of verse 1. Remember verse 1? What if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? Verse 31. So the people believed. And when they heard the message of the Lord, that the Lord was concerned about the sons of Israel and that He had seen their affliction, and they, they, they then bowed low and worshipped. They believed. They worshipped. They discovered that their God heard their cries, saw their affliction, and responded with a plan to get them out. You see, when God is at work, He gets the glory. He gets the attention. The people didn't worship Moses. Moses is a man. They worshiped the one true God, the great I Am. I love that song. Enjoy singing it. I always appreciate that. Um, God sends messengers who understand that they represent Him. When those messengers believe and obey God, the recipients of their witness experience the work of God. So let's not get caught up in the idolatry of He or worship. There are great men of God, great speakers, great teachers, and we love to hear them. But folks, our attention is not on those men. Most of those men are highly fallible. All of those men are highly fallible. God alone is infallible. God alone is going to give you the life and the hope that you need. Don't listen for a guy who can speak well. Listen for a guy who points you to Jesus. Because He's the one. That's the only one who's going to help you. I can't help you. Mike can't help you. Jeremy can't help you. Paul can't help you. Only God. It's going to give you what you need. Jesus is the only way to get to Him. And uh, that, I, I love it that God loves us. He demonstrated that love through Jesus Christ. And He alone deserves praise and worship. He alone is the Deliverer. Moses was not actually the Deliverer. God was the Deliverer. Jesus is the Deliverer. He alone frees us even of our fears. Better yet, why don't we be obedient messengers like Harriet Tubman? <laughs> uh, risk going back to those enslaved. You know, you, you, were you were released. You were delivered from all your sin. You were delivered from all the things that you did wrong, right? Why don't we risk going back 
to the people who are still caught up in that. 19 more trips? 300 people? Could we do it? Let me encourage you to do that today. Let's pray together. Father, we come before You. Lord, we know that, uh, that Your Word is true. That You have a plan. and We thank You for that plan. Part of that plan is for us to be obedient in sharing with others who You are, the great message of deliverance. Lord, we know that there are still people out there like Pharaoh whose hearts are being hardened or have been hardened. But Father, help us to locate and find those people who are willing and ready, who are in need and sensing their need to respond to that good news that you are their deliverer. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.